All right, welcome back into the We Shall Not Sleep podcast. All right, we're going strong this week. Back at it with another recap of last week's sermon. I, I felt more led to, to do this uh, as of late here, and I promise uh, more guests will return. Surprise guest, maybe somebody you haven't heard from yet fully? Maybe not. We'll just have to see. You can find us, by the way, before we get into it today, on YouTube, Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. We're hosted on SoundCloud. Shout out to those wonderful folks over there. Thank you so much for allowing us to be platformed there. Appreciate it. Check us out on our Facebook page. That's where I post links to all of the new uh, new episodes and such. And if there's any updates, that's where you can check that out. All right. So this this past uh, this past couple weeks, I've been trying to focus on looking at the good, looking at the at the idea that even through terrible circumstances, there's still good that can come from it if you want to see it. If you can choose to get out of your own way, stop necessarily being selfish, looking at your own life and saying, how could maybe my experience impact the lives of others or how can God work through this? Now, that does not mean that you went through this so this this time of tribulation trial so that God could teach you something. That's not necessarily how we view God, at least in the traditional Christian Christian circles and, and such, because, yes, we, we do see God interact with humanity in the Bible from Old Testament to New Testament, and there are times of judgment. There are times of, of bereavement and, and tribulation, sorrow, that God certainly allows. I mean, Job is like the prime example of that. That was, that was God purposely allowing uh, Satan to to come into his life and, and cause torture, and God was like, but there's no one no one like my servant Job. He's blameless, and, and Satan's like, I bet he, I can turn him, and God's like, all right, go ahead, take a shot. And all of those things that happens, now this, this is where it's misconstrued sometimes with, with Job is its idea of prosperity. You just got to go through this, and you're guaranteed the, the fulfillment uh, more so, because at the end of Job, obviously, he gets all of the things back and then some what he had before. Now, it does not replace what would what had been lost, but I think the, the idea is, is that there is something greater on the other end, especially if you uh, experience a lot of persecution through righteousness. I mean, that's the Beatitudes. That's Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. However, being persecuted for righteousness' sake. So we can't, we can't intertwine the two and say, Every time I experience persecution, it's always for the sake of righteousness. No, sometimes things just happen because we're in a fallen world. And we can make the best of that situation. God can use that if we ask him to, to do amazing things. For the last couple of weeks, I have personally been trying my best to look at some of these weird circumstances in the Bible and see how God worked through them because the people did not focus on themselves. They did not take the attitude of woe is me, I can't believe I'm either honored to, to be persecuted in Jesus' name or God's name, Yahweh's name, or they, they they didn't say, well, something, I must have done something wrong in order to invite this judgment and this happenstance. No, they decided to make the most of it because they still turn to Yahweh and not our way. <laughs> Stupid pun, I know. But listen, this is something that, as we go into this time of Thanksgiving, I had a pastor friend, a friend of the show, Pastor James Haldane. He actually asked me how I was doing with this year and this anticipation of Advent. And I told him that, like last year with my church, we decided to 
focus up till Thanksgiving on gratitude, looking at what God has already done in our lives that we can be grateful for. Now, here in the United States, a year ago this time, we were, the country again is reeling from an election where it seems like half the country every four years is torn apart by these ideological lines that we draw for ourselves. Then we go away for four years, then we come back and do it all over again, as, as it seems. So when certain people feel disenfranchised by the results of an election or simply things not going their way, it can be a time for that many consider uh, very depressing, uh, anxiety-ridden, uh, very sad, and other people are experiencing the exact opposite of that. So how, how do you reconcile that? Well, if you have multiple people in a congregation who feel differently about politics, I mean, surely they do. These, again, are things of the world. We are just blessed in this particular country, United States of America, to have a say in it because a lot of Christians throughout history didn't have a say in their leaders whatsoever. They were just dealt the cards they were and let the chips fall as they may as far as the worldly outcomes, right? Well, we have the ability to affect that here, which is an amazing thing, in my opinion, but yet we still have to look through the lens of gratitude. I, I don't know how we get away from that considering where we live and in the time in which we live. So that's what I focused on last year. I was focusing on this, this gratitude angle of rather than falling prey to the what have you done lately for me mentality, we decided to focus on the things that already were and already have passed, and focus on what is uh, to come. That is something for me, I truly, I truly have uh, felt blessed by the congregation and, and the church because they responded so graciously to that, that message. And this year, I'm looking at the angle for gratitude and thanksgiving as we approach, obviously, the American Thanksgiving holiday and then go right into Advent, which is a whole other season of Thanksgiving in this time of preparation and time of coming. I have been looking at how do you see gratitude through hardship? And that's what we have talked about the last couple of weeks on this podcast and what we've talked about in, in the last couple sermons at the Community Church in North Adams is, okay, it's easy to maybe look back in your life, reflect and say, look how God delivered me through these times of bereavement, uh, sickness, what have you. But what about the now? What about when you're going through it right now. You see, there are people who have lost loved ones, um, were sick, had, had uh, potentially terminal illnesses, and they came through that. So that was a trying time. They, they certainly, uh, if they're Christians, uh, many, many things were, were learned through that as far as their dependency on God, or maybe they were confronted with their own mortality for the first time. And they really had to, to reevaluate their, their values and say, am I actually as as concerned uh, with the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of earth? Am, am I actually living for myself? And I've had friends testify to that fact where they really got a wake-up call thinking that, you know, I really wasn't ready to die. I, I really don't want to go to heaven as much as I really think I do. So when you're presented with those circumstances, how can we find gratitude in that? And today's like message like that I wanted to talk to is kind of revisit it of what I preached on Sunday. The sermon series, not that I'm in, I don't even know if it's a series, but it's at least a part one. It's called Being Uprooted. And it comes to mind with Daniel chapter one, and it's actually foretold in 2 Kings 24. 
where a couple weeks ago I preached on Josiah and how God can use this this guy and he turns everyone's hearts back to the Lord. He's credited with an amazing, amazing compliment in the Bible that there was no other king like him nor after him that turned the people's hearts back to God. And then he dies and then his son and then grandson take over and they begin to take Israel back and, and Judah back to uh, its evil ways as it had done prior. And everyone can just kind of throw up their arms in futility and say, what in the world was that for? And at the end of Second Kings, this is what happens. This is Second Kings 24. I'm reading from the NASB here. It says, In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his servant for three years. And then he turned and rebelled against him. The Lord sent against him bands of Chaldeans, bands of Armenians, bands of Moabites, and bands of Ammonites. Armenians, sorry, excuse me. I can't read. Armenians, bands of Moabites, and bands of Ammonites. So he sent them against Judah to destroy it, according to the word of the Lord, which had spoken through his servants, the prophets. Surely at the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done, and also for the innocent blood which he shed, for he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and the Lord would not forgive. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and all that he did, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? Well, yes, and they're also mentioned in Daniel chapter 1, because Daniel chapter 1, starting at verse 1, says, In the year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim into the king of Judah. Uh, excuse me. I can't talk this morning, everyone. I'm so sorry. Uh, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. So basically, God does not relent from his judgment. He does not allow the, the shedding of innocent blood, even by the people that were supposed to be living the godly way. He does not look that look that injustice in the eye and go, ah, it's okay. No, and that's important is that even Christians are not to be uh, assuming that they can escape God's judgment if they've done something wrong and are unrepentant. And sometimes if we are repentant, God does not spare us of the worldly consequences. And maybe as it, as it shouldn't be, again, because Again, if you are a victim of something and then you go to court and then the judge just kind of lets the perpetrator off, like, what? Where's the judgment in that? Well, here, God does not spare his own people the rod. And it's important because, again, they were sacrificing under Manasseh, you know, their children to the god Molech, you know, which the other, you know, non-Jewish, non-children of Israel people were doing, which is insane. So yes, of course, God allows this kingdom to come under judgment. And then you get this guy, Daniel, who's uprooted because he was of nobility. He had a lot of privileges. Seeing all this go down, he's snatched up and he is going into this foreign king, the enemy of his own people's court. Verse three, I'll pick this up. Then the king ordered Asaphenes, Ashpenaz, I think is how you say it, the chief of his officials to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, use in whom was no defect, who were good looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had the ability for serving the king's court. And he ordered them to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank and appointed that they should be educated three years at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. 
Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them, and to Daniel he assigned the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So there we go. And Daniel's resolve. Darn it. I am now forced into this, and I don't have a say in the matter. But what did he do? He's uprooted from his, from his entire way of life. He's been, he has these, obviously, natural proclivities to a lot of understanding and wisdom. He's smart, good-looking, talented. You know, that's great. Hey, let's get that guy serving in my court. So what did he do? He didn't sit there and go, oh, what was me? Which I would imagine, because even though we're not given this, I mean, I don't think it's a stretch to assume that you'd be a little disappointed. Now, it's not like being thrown into slavery and being put in prison, obviously, but when your whole world is turned upside down because of a foreign enemy and occupation and destruction of what was known, even though this was an evil kingdom, remember, not every single person in the, in the kingdom of Judah was evil. And you can see that here with Daniel and his friends and how they make up their resolve. And Daniel um, Daniel says, or goes further here in uh, verse 8, but Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials sent to Daniel, I am very afraid of my lord the king who has appointed your food and your drink for why should you see your face looking more haggard than the use are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. This guy's like, what are you doing? I've been told to give you this stuff. Like, can you please do it? But Daniel said to the overseer whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. And let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this manner and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, their appearance seemed better, and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they, they were to drink and kept them, you know, kept giving them vegetables. As for these four youths, important, verse 17, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Then at the end of days, which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and out, um, and out of all of them, not one was found, like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they ended the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. So they made most of their situation. That is the point. When your life is uprooted, when you have to move for a job, when you lose a job, when you, um, you experience hardship, and again, I, I think of this case in a move or your whole world is turned upside down, obviously there's going to be sorrow, there's going to be shock, there's going to be doubt, there's going to be confusion and anger. You're going to have all of those emotions. And it's easy for me to say this considering you know, I've, I've never personally lost a job up until this point. It hasn't been God's plan for me. Uh, and, and moving and, and transitioning. I've had to transition jobs, but that was voluntarily. That wasn't because I was forced to. So it's very easy for me to say and through this microphone, behind this computer, you know, hey, suck it up. Because that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that when we go through hardship as Christians, I'm speaking to Christians, not non-Christians, but Christians out there who who get down on their knees and pray to God, submit their lives over, they read 
read scripture, they go to church, they, they pray, they fast. I'm talking to those Christians, Bible-believing, Christ-is-King Christians. When the hard times come, that's where we find where our roots are. And if we're trying to land on our own two feet, well, good luck, right? Come on. So make the most of being uprooted whenever you have that happen. Everyone is blindsided by life. It's what we call life sometimes, right? Everyone is. But are we going to focus on ourselves or are we going to focus on God still? What is going to happen? Anyway, those are just some thoughts for the day. May God bless you and may God keep you.